0: Turn to Romans 14, if you would. For those of you who may have thought we would never finish Romans, look how close we are. I'm going to read from chapter 14, uh, 1 through, I'm going to shorten it up, Jordan. I'm going to read through verse 12, and then I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 13. Romans 14, 1 to 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? you Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. First Corinthians 13, I'll just read a few verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's stop there. Lord, help us to have this kind of love for one another. The kind of love that Christ has for us, each of us. To love one another the way you have loved us, Lord Jesus. Help us and help your church to love one another the way you have loved us. Lord, I dwell here in the midst of a bunch of loving people, but we can all grow in our love. Some of us need to grow more than others, and that's always true about anything we talk about. But may we be shining examples of this kind of love of one another so that as people see our lives, they know we're disciples of Christ. You told us that. And people will know we're your disciples if we have this kind of love, this self-sacrificial love, this patient and gentle and enduring love for one another. It will flow from a trust in you. So grant us to trust you, to rest in you, to delight in you. And in Your glory and grace to us. And therefore then extend that kind of grace to one another. Make us more loving, Lord. We can pray that prayer until we die. Make us more loving. Like our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The only army that shoots its wounded is the Christian army. You've heard that before, right? Maybe some of you have been shot by other Christians, harmed, discouraged. And listen, that's part of, that's part of one of the reasons why the Bible says for us to bear with one another and be patient with one another and forgive one another. Because even the, even with the best of intentions and motives, we're going to cross one another sometimes. And listen, the other way that that happens is in the peripheral issues, we do not all believe the same things. We have differences, differences of opinion. And we need to be able to dwell graciously with one another in these differences of opinion that we're going to talk about today. The only army that shoots his wounded is the Christian army. And that is sad, but true. But see, the fact is we are to be Arm in arm for the gospel. Marching forward with Christ for the gospel. The new or weak believer and the mature and strong believer. Locked arms and everyone in between. Unified, supportive, focused on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And listen, the main thing is the Great Commission. It is the gospel. It is the mission. I don't know if you're a sports fan or not. But one of the things that distinguishes a good team is that they have a good leader who puts forth a good mission. And that mission is embraced by the team. So the team is serving the mission and therefore they can line up together and get their job done. It's like a football team. If you, if you had a football team take the field and all of a sudden they start arguing about whether one another tied their shoes right or, or you get what I'm saying. The mission is lost. So it's mission, team, person in that order. And a lot of the times the <clears throat> the conflicts that we have is because we're not busy enough on the mission. And we start nitpicking one another over things that really don't matter. Things that can be personal opinions. That can be held and helped. And Paul says, make sure in your own mind some things that are. That are, you know, we don't agree about everything. The church here in Rome didn't agree about everything. See, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, which was a mixed body of Jews and Gentiles. And we don't get how radical that was. We, we just don't get it. Think about this. This is only some 25 years after Jesus was crucified and raised. Bringing in the new covenant. And now you have Jews and Gentiles in the same body And it brings with it struggles on both sides. And it made unity a challenge. And that's what Paul is fighting for here. He's fighting for unity in his church. Jews and Gentiles in the same body. Think about that. Just really think about that. Think about Jews raised up under the Mosaic Covenant. Raised up with all of those shadows and practices of that covenant. Right? Right? raised up only eating some things that were clean and unclean foods. And all of a sudden, those food restrictions and those special days are no more. That is difficult. And then Gentiles who weren't raised in any of that, right, coming in not with a lot of that baggage, but with their own set of baggage. It's not that they were carrying less things in. It's just different. Eating whatever they want, everyday being alike, and, and both sides kind of tugging at one another. Not keeping the gospel central. I don't think there was a great amount of, of disunity in the church in Rome, but I, I think there was, a, there was some struggle. And that he's addressing some of that here. And he's giving some some instruction to the church in Rome. And therefore, through that, we know this being Scripture, to us, that will help us as we seek to stay on target on mission. Because if we lose sight of the mission, and therefore stop supporting the team, and become about ourselves, then we're going to start nitpicking in one another Over things that we really shouldn't be nitpicking one another over. Today we're going to look at or begin to look at the struggle over food. How can the church stay unified with all this baggage of the past? We're continuing to unpack from chapter 12 verse 9 where we talked about genuine love. And then 13 verse 9 we talked about um, loving one another. The way we love ourselves, and then we expanded that to the way that we love Christ. See, Paul has shown us in the book of Romans that we were all lost and in need of a Savior. Jew as well as Gentile. And that that Savior is Christ. And through faith in Him, we have what we've been singing about. Cleansing from sin. Clothing in His righteousness. Adoption into God's family. And God, therefore, beginning to transform us. Into the image of Christ for what we call sanctification. We've seen that it's our responsibility in chapter 12 to be, since the gospel is true, to be living sacrifices. Christ bought us for himself. We're to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and raised from the grave. And we're just continuing to, to expand and talk about... What does it look like to be that kind of living sacrifice that has genuine love for one another? That loves neighbor like self and believer like Christ and seeks to honor God above everything. But again, today we're going to talk about verses 1 to 4. We're going to begin this section. um, And I entitled this The Gospel in Stake. Hopefully that fits. But meat is the issue that he's bringing to the fore here and for one of those reasons. So, main point, leave all judgment to the Lord and walk in unity, even though you hold different opinions in disputed matters. And you'll see where that comes from as we begin to go through through verse one. But first, we want to look at two different groups within the church. And there's always and it's kind of it's not like this sort of black and white divide where you have Weak and strong, but you do have weak and strong in the in the church. And there's sort of a scale of weakness that comes up to being strong or mature. Um, but you always have the two in the church. And, and how can the two uh, live together in faith and in unity? Look back in look back in verse one, if you would. After commanding us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Y'all know that these chapter divisions wasn't in the original. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith. Let me, let me just stop here. As for the one who is weak in faith. And we need a little help with that. Because a lot of us won't identify that way as being the weak one. Especially once we've become the legalistic weak one. We think we're the strong one. Isn't that odd? As for the one who is weak in the faith. See, this is a true believer, but an immature believer. His faith needs the strength and maturity that will raise him above these scruples that he's making so important. It's a true believer, if you want to think babe in Christ, but sometimes, listen, sometimes people have been in Christ for five years, for ten years, and they're still immature and still weak. And some of that falls on pastors who didn't prioritize teaching the people the truths of the faith. But some of that falls on us as well, doesn't it, because we didn't press into growth, as Peter says. So it's not necessarily a new believer, but it's one who is weak in the faith who needs maturity. Look down in verse 2. Paul identifies and gives us a little more information. He says the weak at the end of the verse, the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, so we in this dispute we we see where the definitions are coming. The one who is weak in faith is the one who eats only vegetables. Evidently he the he or she sees eating meat as a sin. And again, we've already said it, the church in Rome is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews struggled greatly with the transition to the new covenant. And embracing the passing of those shadows, some, you know, losing those distinctions between clean and unclean. Imagine how hard that was. Your whole life has been defined by certain things. And also here with meat, uh, the issue is not just clean and unclean because we see that this person in this context is d- just not going to eat meat. It's not that they won't eat bacon. Poor thing. It, praise God. One of the blessings of the new covenant is bacon. Amen. If you still hung up on that about whether or not it's okay to eat bacon, let me help you. It is. It's not just okay. But see, there was also, so they weren't just not eating some meat. They were not eating any meat. So there's a cultural thing going on here in the issue of idolatry. Many of the meat markets, the meat they sold, would have been used in idolatrous ceremonies and false worship as they sacrificed animals. And then they would take the leftover meat and push it out into the market. And sell it. And make money off of it. So the meat market sold meat that had been used in idolatry ceremonies. And to the weak, to the weak, eating meat ran the risk of unwittingly partaking in idolatry. This person was afraid. Even if I don't know it, if I eat a piece of meat that was sacrificed to an idol, then I have become an idolater. By the way, that's not true. And we have a lot of like struggles. We just hash things out in the, wrong, the wrong way in the church. But for this person, they, in good conscience, they couldn't eat meat. Because it would violate their conscience. And Paul and God would never have us violate our conscience. So, but they would not. Josephus reports this that some of the Jews at Rome lived exclusively on fruit out of fear of eating something unclean or part of idolatrous worship. So to them, the safe conclusion was no meat, no steak, no bacon. Paul says this is the conclusion of one who is weak in the faith who needs maturing, who needs help to see, right? But he's going to give some instruction to the strong as they relate to the weak. To not, you know, every time you get around them, be trying to correct their scruples. That will interrupt fellowship. But you can see that some probably, and this doesn't mean it was only Jews. There could have been others influenced but the weak, the ones who were weak were the ones with this scruple over meat. The ones who didn't believe they could eat meat in good conscience because what it might have meant to them, either unclean or participation in idolatry. So Paul identifies the weak. Now look back in, in verse 1. This is a, an, an instruction to the strong. And he says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Welcome him. And then he gives us down in verse 2. This person believes he may eat anything. So the strong in faith is the mature here. He's the one addressed here to welcome the weak. See, theologically, Paul would agree with this stand. And Paul explicitly agrees, even here in Romans, that he can eat anything. As far as his conscience goes, the strong and the mature Christian, the one who understands and understands the realities of the gospel and of the word of God was able to eat meat without violating his conscience, without having to worry about what might have happened to it beforehand or where it came from. See, Paul would agree with that. But Paul is also patient and gentle with the weak. And that's that's a lesson We who may be strong and mature can learn. It takes wisdom to know what hills to die on, right? And to have the right priorities of what hills to even fight on. Because if we get the most important hills right, these other ones will take care of themselves. Keep the main thing, the main thing. But look what Paul says in Romans 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So think about who this is. This is a former Pharisee. This is a former list keeper. Can we turn that monitor off? This uh, This is a Jew of Jews here. He's got it, I think, back there, Anthony. This is a guy who would have radically enforced this clean and unclean paradigm. And now he's come to Christ and now he's grown in grace. And he says, now I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But look at this. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ dies. If you want to read more kind of down those lines, look at 1 Timothy 4, 4 to 5. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 13. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. We've got, this is really just getting this section going, and a lot of this we will, we will look at and continue to look at later. But 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 13. And if you have a reference Bible, that probably leads you to other places. But we're to walk in love. We don't always exercise our freedom. That we believe that we have. Out of love for our brother. Because we know it would offend him. So if a strong person in Rome. Invited a weak person over to his house. He wouldn't cook steak. He'd make him. They would eat vegetables out of love. See Paul. Look what Paul says in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in the faith. Welcome him. Paul instructs the strong to welcome the weak one. And this means to welcome him into cordial Christian fellowship without sitting in judgment on his opinions. Speaking to the strong. Telling the strong to welcome the weak and then look at this qualification. Welcome him into fellowship, but not to quarrel over his opinions. The, the Christian Standard Bible translates this in, in, I don't know, if it, I think it might have been a New American Standard. But others use this, this wording as well. Disputed or disputable matters. So these are not gospel opinions. This is not something where they're saying there was no virgin birth or, you know, things like that. These are disputable matters. Paul is saying, you know, don't die on these lower hills. Seek to establish fellowship and warmth. With the weaker brother. Why? Because if the strong brother is truly stronger, the strong sister, and the strong sister or brother is following Christ, they're going to be able to help disciple the weaker brother or sister and help them grow in grace without picking at all of their smaller opinions. Welcome them into cordial Christian fellowship, but not to win an argument. Disputed matters. When you see that word opinions there, there's a couple of words. The original, but not important. But not to quarrel over opinions or disputed matters. These are differences of opinion on on things. These are differences that Christians sometimes have. These, In this context, it's about meat. But it could be, and we'll see it in the passage, the disputed matters in this text as we go through chapter 14 are the eating of meat, the observance of days, and the drinking of wine. And we'll we'll talk about the second two of those uh, the next time. But these are things that Christians hold different opinions on. Godly people seeking to rightly interpret the scripture come to different conclusions on some things. I mean we're talking about meat and we're going to talk more about and we will talk about wine but think about wine. You have, you have pastors and people in the Christian faith who will go to all sorts of weird and extraordinary means to try to tell you that it wasn't wine. That's funny. We're told not to get drunk off of it. But this is not a sermon about wine, okay? But when Jesus created wine, you know what he created? Wine. But Christians hold different opinions on these things. I'm sorry, I'm taking a stand, aren't I? I won't do that today. But some Christians believe it's wrong to drink wine, and others believe it's okay to drink wine. Here's what everybody should agree on. Drunkenness is a sin. To be controlled by it, to overindulge in it, is a sin. Just because the Bible permits you to drink it, if you have that conclusion, it never permits you to abuse it. But how do you think about these things? Some Christians, if they saw you go into the grocery store and buy a bottle of wine, I think it's coming from up there. I've never had to deal with this Star Wars effect on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Here's how you can mess that up. If you believe Christians shouldn't drink wine and you see a brother or sister go in the grocery store and come out with a bottle of wine. Don't let your mind go to that's a sin. What are you assuming because they bought a bottle of wine that they're going to get drunk off of it? Be careful. How about celebrating Christmas? I promise I won't get mad and reveal anything this morning. But Christians disagree over celebrating Christmas. How about Bible translations? Lots of other things. Secondary issues. Things that good people disagree on. I mean, eschatology is a good example, isn't it? Some people will divide from you if you're not dispensational premillennial in your eschatology. That's wrong. Right? Right? They're they're premillennial, both historic and dispensational. There's amillennial, postmillennial, and there's even some panmillennial in this church who just believe it's all going to pan out in the end. They don't worry about it. I'm trying not to stare at them right now. But see, we're talking about whether or not a Christian should eat meat. In this context, in this person. And we've seen that the strong believes he can eat anything. And we know Paul sides with that. The weak would eat only vegetables. So how can we live together with that kind of thing going on? We're to hold fast to those things the Word clearly teaches. But we are not to be separating and beating one another up over what Paul calls disputed matters. You know that Christians often draw so many lines of fellowship. That it ends up being literally the us four and no more. And they're proud about that. And if everybody else is wrong but you. And you're the weaker person. Okay. The weak and immature. We should be very patient and gentle with. Not seeking to cause discussions about things you know they struggle over. But focusing on strengthening them in the main things. Paul says, welcome them cordially into Christian fellowship and defer to them as necessary, you know, without either violating their own conscience. Be patient and gentle with the weak. So look at two related. You've got two groups of people, strong and weak. Look at two related commands in verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. First, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Notice there's different words here. One, One is despising and one is passing judgment. Here, despising means to treat someone or something as of no account, to disdain them, to make light of them, to look down on them, You know, the language of turning up one's nose. What does it mean when somebody turns up their nose? We used to use that about girls turning up their nose. Because they think they're better than you are. To turn up the nose is not to accept something because you do not think it is good enough for you. This is a tendency of the strong if we're not careful. Careful it is to despise the weak. To roll our eyes when they start talking. To not Be willing to overlook certain scruples to press into strengthening them in the faith. See, the strong are tempted to write off the weak, not fellowship with them. Avoid them. Think them not worth the time. And that is the exact wrong response. Paul tells the strong not to despise the weak. I mean, listen, it is very important to study and come to sound conclusions as to what the Bible teaches But we must never weaponize our conclusions, especially conclusions about disputed matters. So don't despise the weak. Invite them into warm fellowship, not to argue over the things you know that are a struggle for them, but as much as you can to make it an inviting situation. That they can come into. Paul would have told the strong in Rome. Listen. Have a dinner. Serve vegetables. Invite them in and don't talk about bacon. Talk about Jesus. There's an easy way not to talk about meat. Huh? <laughs> now look. Look in Romans 15:1. We who are strong have an obligation. To bear with the failings of. Of the week, And not to please ourselves. Remember, mission, team, self. That kind of analogy. Stay on mission. Look at the second part of this verse. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. This is the tendency of the weak to quickly pass judgment, to see them as condemned, to write them off, to decide they're unsaved because they're not keeping your list. I saw that person who claims to be a follower of Jesus go in the liquor store. So since I saw them go into the liquor store, they're not a Christian. You don't even know if they went in there to buy a cooking sherry or something. You're making a whole lot of assumptions. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Sometime. You know the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian? A Presbyterian will speak to you in the liquor store. Don't assume just because you see somebody buying a, a beer or a bottle of wine that they're going to abuse it. Now, if you see them abusing it, then that's another thing. Where that brotherly love would come into you know, lovingly confronting that. But the weak are not usually the ones identifying themselves. They see themselves as strong. They become judges quickly. I can't believe that guy who claims to be a Christian, I saw him smoking a cigar. (laughs) What kind was it? Come on now. Maybe I run people off. I don't know. If you're so tight that you don't have a category for somebody smoking a cigar, you're way too tight. Charles Spurgeon said he would quit smoking cigars when he started smoking too many. And his friend said, well, how many is too many? He said, two at one time. (laughs) And we go through all sorts of theological mumbo-jumbo to try to make that wrong. Well, it's destroying the temple. Well, not if you don't abuse it. Fried chicken will destroy the temple if you eat too much of it. You ain't fussing much over that. Stop assuming the worst of each other. Stop passing judgment on one another because they're not keeping your list. Paul says be convinced in your own mind and keep, you'll see as we go forward in the passage. Keep your list your list. Don't expect everybody else to live by your list. Now, if you, we're not, we don't mean God's commandments. Okay, that's God's list. We all to live by that. But whether you wear pants or wear makeup or go to movies or smoke cigars or willing to drink a glass, that's 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 part of the list that I'm talking about. And we all need to live by our convictions and not violate our conscience. But don't judge one another on these disputed matters by. Your list. So these are commands in this section. You who are strong, stop despising the weak. And you who are weak, stop passing judgment on the strong. Romans 15, 7. We'll get there. Therefore, welcome one another. Here's the standard. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. When he goes on with a little bit of a strong language here, I'll, I'll, I'll not, not cursing. That's not what I'm talking about. But look in verse 4. He puts his finger in the chest of the weaker person right here. He says, who are you? Think about, I mean, think about who are you? Who do you think you are is another way to say that. Who do you think you are passing judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or followed, and He will be upheld for the Lord will make him stand. The weak were sort of passing judgment on and condemning the strong for things that were disputed matters and not gospel issues. And Paul is saying, stop that. Who do you think you are? Look to the Lord. Follow him. Your convictions are your convictions. Hopefully they're biblical. Think the best of one another. Get off the judge's seat. Legalists are really good judges, aren't they? Well. Not really, but really good condemners. Drop the gavel on you quickly. But Paul says, there is a judge and it's not you. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master. Jesus said he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's saying you are not the judge. Look quickly at verses 8 and 9. We'll, we'll get there later. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Leave judgment to the Lord. Accept and serve one another. Think the best of each other. Study together and humbly come to godly conclusions. And listen, be willing to differ over disputed matters without separating. Look back again at verse 9. To this end, Christ died. Let's stop. Christ died and lived again. There's the gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, came and lived first. To now you have to live. Right? He lived under His own law. He fulfilled all righteousness in thought, word, and deed. He kept the law perfectly for the glory of the Father and for the good of His people. And then he went to the cross and paid the penalty for his sins, the sins of his people. He didn't have any. He was the Lamb of God, pictured in the Old Covenant and come to reality. John points to him and says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who would come and take away the sins of the world. That doesn't mean every single person in the world. It means Jew and Gentile. To the Jew, that was the world. Elect from Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, tongue and nation. Christ died and paid the penalty for our sins. And then what about this righteous life? That gets credited to us through faith. So when you come to faith in Jesus, you you are forgiven for all of your sins. But that's only half the story. His righteous life is credited to your account then. So that your record before the judgment bar of God in heaven is not a list of your sins. It's a perfect record of Christ's righteousness imputed to you. You were made a child of God on the basis of Jesus and not you. Even the faith that connected you to him was a gift to you. So Christ died and he rose again. And listen, he rose again. He rose the third day. Irrefutable fact of history. Unless you use weird double standards when you're investigating. People have been trying for 2,000 years to prove it not true. And not one person has proved it not true. Because you can't. Because it happened. Christ lived. He died and He rose again proving it all true. He's ascended. He's reigning and He's returning someday. And He is the judge of the living and the dead. If you're not in Christ this morning, what do you mean, preacher? If you're not trusting in Christ and Christ alone, if you haven't come to the point in your life where you see your sin and you're convicted over your sin and you see that you deserve condemnation and you turn to God and receive the free gift of His Son, you trust in Jesus for your salvation. Today is the day. If you're not in Him, He is coming. He will be the judge. He's proved it by His resurrection. Turned and trust in him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul told the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved. But coming out of this sermon, just remember God is the Lord and judge of the conscience. Christian liberty is the topic here. We don't all have the same convictions when it comes to liberty. But in, the, in that it is disputed matters, that, that good people hold both sides, you have your own convictions. You be fully convinced in your own mind. You keep your own list. You don't violate your conscience. But don't you dare judge or despise a brother and sister because they're not keeping your list. Or maybe they're not mature enough for you to hang out with you. Before him, we stand or fall and to him, we must answer just a few points of application and we'll be done. Number one, the strong should... We're going to see this as we move forward, but the strong should sometimes defer to the scruples of the weak. Not to be ruled by them, but being careful not to cause another brother or sister to stumble. It's not a sin to not eat meat in the presence of someone who would have the conviction that they shouldn't. Now, if this is just some weird modern-day vegetarian commitment. Even then, I would try to defer to them to reach them for the gospel. But but this, this was a religious conviction these people had. And so Paul didn't want his stronger brethren to dis, despise them for it. He wants them to be able to minister to them and help them grow. So defer to them sometimes. Listen, let me say this. This is a bad thing in the Reformed church sometimes. It is not a strength to flaunt your freedom or to be compelled to point out all the er other's errors immediately. Grace and patience are essential qualities of a disciple maker. I've seen brothers and sisters, especially sometimes when they're new, and it's, it's usually the guys for whatever reason. But I've seen my brothers and sisters sometimes just blast all over Facebook their cigars and their... Wine and their favorite drinks and all of that stuff. Don't do that. That's not being wise. That's not that's not doing what Paul's telling us to do here. That really can make somebody stumble. I'm not saying don't have your own convictions, but don't be flapping them in everybody's face. That's not strength. Remember, mission team self. Self on the top. Grace and patience are essential qualities of a disciple maker. And we're all called to be disciple makers in case you're wondering about that. Number two, the weak should be careful not to walk around passing judgment on the basis of disputed matters. Watch out for pride. You are not to judge. If you're writing people off based on what they're watching, I'm not talking about things that are obviously sinful or what they're... You fill out the list of these disputed matters. You need to repent of that. God did make you the judge. Some of us are too quick. We just get everybody for everything. You lose a lot of gospel opportunity when you live that way. And you cause others to stumble. Number three, we should all strive to keep the main thing the main thing. And the great commission is the main thing. If we are all focused on Christ and on the mission He has given us, a lot of these other things that tend to divide churches and divide Christians, they will fall away. Because I'm focused on Him and being what He calls me to be and trying to help others be in a a gracious way. What He's calling them to be. We lose faith. Focus on Christ and on the Great Commission. We get self-turned in. We start becoming little rulers of the kingdom. We go astray. So the strong to bear with the weak. The weak is to stop passing judgment on the strong. And we are all to keep the Great Commission the main thing. Listen to me. Disputed matters must not and should not be a litmus test of Fellowship. Jesus died and rose again to purchase for himself a people who would walk in unity around him and keep his gospel the main thing. So, church, don't shoot your wounded. Treat each other with grace and acceptance as Christ has treated you. To live as Christ. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to. As we talked about in Ecclesiastes and in so many other places, keep our eyes fixed above the sun. Keep our eyes, hearts fixed on you. Keep the mission the main thing. Be willing to let love cover a multitude of sins. To not impose our list on each other. Yes, to be walking in your commandments and keeping your commandments. But on these disputed matters, on these matters of conscience, on these Parts of Christian liberty. Help us to be gracious with one another. To not expect us all to have the same convictions. To be willing to walk arm in arm together for the gospel. Lord, to a great extent, we just need to be rebooted to that priority. To that Great Commission gospel-focused priority of making disciples. By preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Seeing people come to faith and be baptized. And then teaching and training them to keep everything that you have commanded us. Knowing that you will build your church and the gates of hell will never prevail. You are with us and for us, in us and working through us. Help us to be faithful to you. And help us to be faithful to one another. Help us to walk in the unity that you have purchased and provided. We pray for it and fight for it and ask it in the holy name of Jesus.